He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Uh, this probably reminds you quite quickly of uh, Galatians, right? that you reap what you sow, um, that kind of deal. Galatians 6, I think it's verses uh, 4, 5, and 6 or something like that, or 5 through 7. Uh, you've got this idea all over the scriptures. It's not karma, uh, but it is this truth that God has woven into the world that uh, there is an expectation that what is sown uh, will determine what is reaped. Uh, we will inherit in some way uh, what we commit towards uh, the future. And not only does that apply in a generic fashion, but we see it applied here uh, to wickedness in particular. Not just wickedness, of course. We could flip it on its head and apply it to righteousness. But here it is presented as uh, the wicked man who is sowing iniquity, what is he going to get? Well, he's going to reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. Uh, some translations uh, kind of give you this idea in the second half of the verse that, that is pointing to um, the strength of his anger, right? The, the things that he strives to do out of his anger and vengeance and wrath that those things, because he has sowed in iniquity, or because his anger is not righteous anger, therefore that work that he strives to do is it is indeed going to uh, going to fail. Um, a reading of let's see, it's actually from the Apocrypha, uh, kind of like quoting you know um, other things that aren't uh, necessarily scripture in the way that we consider the. The 66 book scripture, uh, but it's uh, Ecclesiasticus uh, 7.3 says, My son, sow not upon the furrows of unrighteousness, and thou shalt not reap them sevenfold. All right, so this idea that uh, we don't sow unto unrighteousness because there's the danger, the risk of um, uh, reaping uh, what you sow. Right? Um, and then in Hosea 10, says, You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. So there's this understanding there uh, in Hosea with this rebuke that he's giving towards uh, the people that he's speaking to, um, that they should not be confused about what is around them because they have plowed or sown in wickedness. They have eaten the fruit of lies, just like what we eat determines what we will be in some ways, right? We eat unhealthy food, we're going to be unhealthy. We eat healthy food, we're going to be healthy, more or less, right? And, they, and he even describes it more uh, clearly, that they trusted in their own ways, even in the multitude of mighty men, which... The Bible all over uh, condemns, don't put your trust in princes, don't put your trust in the strength of man, but put your trust in the Lord. Uh, what Matthew Henry says about uh, this verse 8 here, um, he speaks of it as ill-gotten gains, right? Uh, that someone who sows in iniquity, right, no matter what they get, it's going to be vanity, right? Uh, he says it will not prosper. Uh, he says he that sows iniquity that does an unjust thing and hopes to get by it will, in fact, reap vanity. What he gets will never do him any good, nor give him any satisfaction. He will meet nothing but disappointment. Those that create trouble to others do but prepare trouble for themselves. Men shall reap as they sow. And this is you know, just a, a helpful lesson to help, uh, help us diagnose and understand it, the prosperity of the wicked which the Psalms lament over and over again. I mean, you can go to so many Psalms where David or whoever's writing is calling on God in prayer to um, avenge his justice, right? To uh, consider the wicked. Look at how they prosper. Look at how David suffered in his righteousness. And of course, we ultimately see this in the life of Christ, right? The Lord Jesus was, of course, more holy than, than David and how much more so did uh, he suffer and um go down, as it were, under the prosperity of the wicked. The, the wicked people, the, the wicked men, the wicked teachers had uh, risen to a place of prominency. 
in the church of God um, in in Jesus's day, right? And and you know we need to remember that when we're reading the Gospels that when Jesus is preaching to the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, he's speaking to the leaders of the church at that time. Uh, Jesus also says, I think it's in Matthew uh, twenty three, uh, he describes the the Pharisees and 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 their folks. He describes them as those who sit on the seat of Moses, right? So they were the uh, um, successors uh, to Moses. It was a, a true headship over the church that they were standing in. But we we learn here, as as Matthew Henry said, that whatever the wicked man gets, no matter how good it pers- how good it uh, seems to be outwardly, there will be no true good from it. There will be no satisfaction in it. Right? He will meet nothing but disappointment. And this is a good check on our own hearts as well because we can labor in such a way that we think that once we finally get this or once we finally get that, then we will finally reach a point of satisfaction. But for the Christian, satisfaction is only in the Lord, right? no matter the surrounding, no matter what comes. That's what David comes to over and over again in the Psalms. The prosperity of the wicked, Lord, it's all around me. I lament it. I wish that things were different. However, I will trust in you. My heart is full. My joy is abundant. My cup overflows. All those things that that the Psalms record. And Matthew Henry points that out as well, that that those who are wicked, even when they accumulate through uh, their prosperity, even when they sow, their, their works are iniquity. What they're going to get is nothing but trouble upon trouble. And sometimes it takes time for that to be apparent, doesn't it? Right? Um, it's not always uh, an immediate thing for the wicked. It's not even, you know, you can, kind of like we see uh, that, that family in Hampton, the uh, yeah, the Murdochs, right? It's pretty evident. Right, rather quickly that their family's been crooked for quite some time, right? But finally, there seems to be something that has happened that is some semblance of justice in this life. We know justice is coming in the next, but it takes a while sometimes for those things to catch up with people. It just really does. Um, and then Matthew Henry also says a second point on this. He says, abused power will not last. If the rod of authority turn into a rod of anger, if men rule by passion instead of prudence, and instead of the public welfare aim at nothing so much as the gratifying of their own resentments, it shall fail and be broken, and their power shall not bear them out in their exorbitances. Besides Isaiah 10 there, um, a, a tremendous warning uh, for us as... Um, Husbands, fathers, elders, deacons, serving in the church in any way, right? That when we have this whatever authority the Lord has given us in our various stations in life, if we use it as a rod of anger, ruling by passion rather than prudence or wisdom, it's going to fail, right? And that too often takes time, right? You know uh, how sometimes when... When a house is built, and uh, or a family is built, I should say, even though we could call a family a house in the biblical sense, but sometimes uh, we don't know what kind of household it really is until the children grow and are gone, right? What they have learned, what they have been taught, and you know, there's, of course, there's times where children turn away from what they're taught, um, but also it can be quite revelatory of the way that uh, the rod of authority was handled in the home. And in Proverbs uh, 22.8, you have this tremendous warning that sowing in iniquity shall reap vanity, right? Because we can think as, I mean, again, the various stations of life. We have father, uh, husband, elder, deacon, teacher, whatever, uh, whatever the case may be where we serve, like, we can kind of like pat ourselves on the back that things are going okay. But if the Lord did a diagnosis on how we're using our authority, what would it reveal? Right? Because we can misuse our authority and create outwardly decent circumstances for a while. Right? 
But at some point, it's going to be uncovered. Right? The vanity is going to be exposed. That rod uh, of anger will be, it will fail. Um, so thinking about uh, kind of swinging around to uh, Judas, right? Um, because if we think about lack of gratitude as it relates to uh, using authority, if we want to connect it to that, right? Um, Judas was, of course, full of a lack of gratitude. On point one, where Judas reaped vanity, right? Because that's what he did. He gave Christ up for uh, pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Listen to this, how uh, this is Matthew 27, verses 3 to 5. I'll just read it to you. Uh, but listen to how, though he sowed in iniquity, he wished that he hadn't. It says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, he regretted it, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Did you ever think that um, Judas, in doing that, he, he said, I'm sorry. I don't know, but it never indicates he was sorry to God. Like, was he repenting when doing that? Yeah. I think it would be hard to say. Um, I, I don't think he was. But no, I yeah. Just, I mean, I, I just, would... In general, I would in general just refer to it as worldly grief. Yeah. The way Paul diagnoses it in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, I think, where he talks about uh, the difference between godly grief and worldly grief. Godly grief produces repentance. Yeah. And a repentant heart for Judas would not have certainly been committing suicide, I yeah, would right. say. Right. Right. There's a reason why we see the juxtaposition of him and Peter. Right. Yeah. Because they did very similar things, right? He and Peter, because that's the thing about, you know, uh, Maundy Thursday or that night in the upper room. Jesus was sitting not with one, but two betrayers, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you could argue 12 Mm -hmm. because the Gospels record they all fled from him. Yeah, They all fled from him, which brings in John 20, which we'll look at this Sunday morning about Jesus coming to the disciples and telling them peace even though they had done what they did. The mercy of Christ in that. Uh, your, your, your version, your King James... That's what this is, yes, sir. It has vanity. New King James has sorrow. I'm wondering what other verse... Anybody have other translations here? Like, yeah. what, what verse are we looking at? I'm, look, I'm looking at... Verse 8. 22.8, the second line. Oh, ESV. Oh, okay. we'll read the ESV what? is, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Mm. Calamity, okay. Calamity, mm. sorrow... Anybody, anything else? NLT has those who plant injustice will harvest disaster okay. and their reign of terror will come to an end. Okay. Right. Let me see if I can pull it up here in the, the Hebrew. Oh, I'm looking in the wrong place. Hold on. Misery or wickedness is what the general terms are. It's uh, avin, uh, something like that. Yeah, maybe severe misery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see what other places it's used. Uh, Proverbs nineteen twenty eight says, uh, "An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity." Nineteen twenty-eight, and I'm assuming it's that last term there. For Job four eight, it says, "Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same." Yep. Yeah, I think I have that verse. No, but I do remember that verse being mentioned several times in the mm-hmm. commentaries I was looking at. That Job four comes comes up a lot, but yeah. Good question. Good point. Um, it, it's it's kind of like uh, 
that the the wicked in sowing uh, iniquity reaps more iniquity, right? Whatever he gets is not actually getting anything, right? So it's it's vanity in that sense, um, but it's also the rod of his anger shall fail the power that he seeks to use. It shall not uh, carry out the purposes that that he desires. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's the way the confession calls it, the estate of sin and misery. Yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. An estate of sin and misery. Whenever I go through the communicus class and I get, that's one of the questions that I use. I don't use all the catechism questions, but I go through several of them and trying to explain to those children what the word estate means is always fun. And I, what I what I normally do is I draw on the board basically the the four conditions of man right and each condition each place right each place is an estate right a, a place in which man exists right because um like mr ed points out it's an estate of sin and misery they you know man man thinks that when he's sowing iniquity that he's actually going to come out on the right side of it Right, like Judas, right? Though his heart was filled with ingratitude, he loved money more than he loved the Lord Jesus, and he thought that you know he was going to get this money and Jesus would be taken care of and nothing would happen. But then, when he realized, right, when he realized what his ingratitude for his proximity to Christ had had really brought him, you know, there was a tremendous fall uh, that happened. Um, then. Uh, on the second point, it's actually the verse that uh, Henry cites from Isaiah 10, verse 24 to 25, where he's bringing out this rod of anger failing. Isaiah 10, 24 to 25 says this, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee, after the manner of Egypt, for yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. Right, so this idea that, yes, the Assyrians were being used as a judgment tool of God, right? but in the mystery of God's sovereignty and providence, that uh, they were responsible for carrying out that uh, punishment, if you want to call it that, on the people of God, and that that time would come to an end because their uh, rod was was held in anger. It would indeed fail as well. Um, so I think t- talk a little bit more about gratitude or ingratitude. Uh, wh- one thing that gratitude helps you do, gratitude helps prevent sowing in iniquity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you're thankful, grateful, for what has been given you, for the place in which you stand, you will be much more likely to carry out your affairs in a proper fashion. Right? Um, you will be much more likely to not have the heart of Judas. Right? Because in Judas, there, there was no appreciation of who the Lord Jesus was. There was no appreciation in his being included among those who had the gifts, right? Because for all intents and purposes, what we can tell from the Gospels was that Judas did all the works that the other disciples did, right? I mean, I, I see Judas basically in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you, even though they had cast out demons in his name and done many wonders in his name right of, of course that's a tremendous mystery right how that can be the case for someone who did not truly know the lord jesus right but the heart of that the, the root of it is because judas did not love the lord he was not grateful for who he was but gratitude is as a husband and gratitude as as a father it it's like a a, a break or something that that is placed on your affections and your heart and mind towards those whom God has given you. Judas stuff. Where did just offhand anybody know where Judas was called? 
was he going? In a way, you gotta wonder. Jesus would have known his his heart from the very beginning. Well, yeah, he does it's say that. Like, yeah, there's a verse where Jesus says, uh, "One of you was like, a devil hey, from the beginning." Why did you include him in the in the fold? In the, as a as one of your Huh? Providence. Yeah, in John 6, yeah, uh, verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Uh, let's see. I don't... Yeah, so, I mean, at some point, previous, obviously... I don't think there's a reference to Judas being specifically called... Like, uh, like Matthew. Hmm. You know, Matthew was specifically called. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a, a similar happening for uh, Judas. When you, when you bring up the word ingratitude, it, it just, my mind immediately goes to the modern culture, hmm. which mm -hmm. is engrafting ingratitude into people you should by no means be grateful for being in America. By no means be grateful for all the places you know. Mm -hmm. By no means be grateful of our founding fathers. And so it's just a, and, and, and just how sad that is. It, just, it, it will just reap such heart destruction. So iniquity. Or even be grateful for the ultimate, ultimate Lord. The ultimate is coming out. just heard, Beck was playing a thing on it. On these trans activists, mm -hmm. says, he said, "We are God." We are, that's what the trans activist is. is mm. We are God. You know, so, so we could be anything we want. You know? That's that's weird. Yeah, uh, looking up the etymology of the term gratitude, uh, one of its older meanings carried the idea of goodwill. Um, also. Thankfulness, pleasing, to favor, right? Uh, it, because of the way the Lord speaks to us about, like Mr. Keith, you mentioned in your prayer, how the Lord commands us to be thankful, to, to, to offer thanksgiving, and how we know that what proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart, right? That, that gratitude is ultimately uh, a posture, a position of the heart, right? And therefore, if gratitude's in the heart, ingratitude comes from the heart as well, right? It's a, it's a it's a total mindset and approach to to all of life, right? Like Mr. Ed was saying, how uh, it's being hammered into our culture, uh, and Sam said it's even hammered into the way we view ourselves, where people are not grateful for how the Lord made them; they have to declare themselves to be uh, something else. Um, but my. Uh, I've talked with a family member about gratitude before, and uh, one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that we're tempted to do a lot of times is, is complain about our circumstances to people that have similar circumstances to us, or we complain about our family, or we're just like you know how you just some some days you just constantly have just like a a rough spot in your heart towards everybody but yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? And this family member and I, I think she put the question to me, but she said, uh, would you rather somebody else be in your place? Right? Would you rather somebody else be her husband, their father, and all those questions? And it just, the, the question... It, it created in me a, a conviction towards, like, to, to reveal the fact that I was just being ungrateful, right? That the Lord had, in His perfect wisdom, placed me where I was, given me who He'd given me, to imitate Him, 
to be a father, to be a son, to be a brother, and all these different things. And all I could think about was how I wasn't getting X, Y, Z, or this wasn't going my way, or, or whatever, right? And uh, it's just a lack of gratitude. It simply is. Uh, gratitude, it's a, it's a controlling factor on the heart. Um, and I would imagine that... Uh, mm, just thinking about the how, the Lord Jesus and His perfection, what and it, of course His gratitude was off the charts, but thinking of His gratefulness uh, to serve in the place that He did, right? That that in His words He did He He would say, "I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many." There was no begrudging submission in the Lord Jesus. Right. And that's gratefulness for his place. Thankfulness, if you want to call it that. Um, but yeah, you don't want to talk about gratitude too long. It starts to hurt too much. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, yeah. Jesus did. All, how many times did he say in his prayers? I thank the thank, thank you, Father, for you know, giving me these that you have yep. given me and mm -hmm. all that. I mean, he said different prayers. He's, yeah. That's a good point. John 17. Uh, Thank you, Father. Yeah. yeah. I'm grateful, Father. Well, that's a good word. All right. I always think of oh, go ahead. <laughs> a movie. It's a, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> right? I wish I'd never been born. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, you're going to get your wish. I watched that movie for the first time in years this past Christmas season. And that hit me like bricks. I won't lie. Like, when he goes up and he kisses the tree that he crashed into, Christmas kisses the car that he crashes and everything. And just, <laughs> you know, there it is. And all its glory with all its dents and stuff. It's great. You know, just, You know, I think for us, this, this, uh, just the scripture of Luke comes to mind to me about um, he that's forgiven much will love much. Mm. And, you know, he said, Wherefore I say to thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love of little. And I think. Part of the reason why we struggle with gratitude is because <clears throat> we don't think we're as bad as we really are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and we really and we and we just don't grasp the the the, the kindness and forgiveness of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, also just like the uh, in Matthew eighteen about the the uh, the unjust servant. Mm -hmm forgiven the national debt and yet he goes after the you know the guy that owed him a few denarii mm. so yeah, the thought that comes to my mind with that is <clears throat> the the heart that recognizes how sinful they are is it, it is uh, sorrowful over their sin not as an end Mm -hmm. which is what the man who, who partakes in iniquity sows iniquity receives he receives sorrow but the person who is contrite over their sins they they, they uh, sow their sorrow and they receive I mean we see in the Beatitudes that's where I was turning <laughs> um, blessed are the, those who mourn yep. they shall be comforted right but then also Psalm 126 you know those who sow weeping will go out with songs of joy, right, and dancing, right, um, bringing in the sheaves. <laughs> yeah, bringing in the sheaves. Yeah. But it's, uh, thinking of it, this verse on its flip side, in a sense, yeah. um, in a more positive version. Yeah, and we were batting it around over at the table. <laughs> Just talking about the idea of justification, right? When you have just the smallest glimpse of 
how the Lord saves you. Like, <laughs> there's no room for boasting, right? It should create just a, an overflowing heart of gratitude. Right? And then First Corinthians 4, 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Mm-hmm. And if you did receive it, why do you glory as if you didn't? Right. Uh, so... Gratitude, gratefulness for not just what the Lord has given us, but what it means to be a Christian at all. Right? Uh, just thinking about the sovereignty of God as it relates to election and predestination could have very well been someone else. Not that God's election was arbitrary, but it was totally free, not based on anything in us. And he freely See, chose. I think that's where a lot we were talking at the dinner table about that. <clears throat> I think that's where people don't get the connection between the fact that they would not be they would not have received their salvation. That they there is nothing in them that would even cause them to want mm-hmm. to receive salvation. Right. Because the natural man doesn't want it. Right. He hates the things of God. So, so our natural man, our natural way is we don't even want to hear it. But all of a sudden there's a switch that somehow is turned. And pe- people don't get that. So, yeah, you know, that's where if people are fighting that, I don't know why people fight that as much. Mm-hmm. They just want to say, I'm the master of my fate. It's my doing that I did that. It's a tremendous lesson to teach children and grandchildren as well. It is. Gratitude for their placement. Because being born in a, a Christian family is just a, an mm-hmm. abundant blessing. I mean, it just, Especially, you know, you have a family that's frequently going to church. If you have a father... Or mother who leads you in, in prayers and reading the Bible, catechizing you and all those kind of things. You know, so, sometimes those things can be laborious uh, for them and for us, sadly. Um, but they're just sharing that uh, immeasurable inheritance that we've been given. Right? And we have to teach them to be grateful for it. Uh, one of the, the things, I think my dad taught me this uh, but try to avoid saying you have to do something mm-hmm. so you get to do it mm-hmm. right <laughs> right I have to go to work today yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. wrong attitude yeah. I get to go to work today yeah. that's right yeah I mean you can replace that with almost anything mm-hmm. you get to do it kind of hard to say that when you get to bed and you not go to work yeah. Well, I get to go. <laughs> <laughs> I get to go provide. There you no, go. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Work is a privilege. Yep. Yep. All right. Y'all ready to move on to verse 9? Sure. <clears throat> says, uh, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor and I think we can also see uh, the opposite of Judas in this right Um, because Judas was anything but generous Um, he was the keeper of the bag and evidently money had a hold on his heart he did not have a generous eye, and therefore he was not uh, blessed. Um, but he was very worried about the poor. Oh, yeah. He was worried about the poor. We should have taken this ointment and sold it and given the money to the poor. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what you mean. Right. Um, but this is a reflection of, of the Lord, right? How uh, the Lord Jesus is uh, our bread. 
He's the bread of life, and we are the poor, right? And he is the abundantly and utterly blessed man, right? He gave of himself, not just uh, bread in general. And this, this kind of, you know, fills your mind with, with the Lord's Supper and thinking about all the biblical imagery that relates to, uh, to bread. Uh, but this is you know, a tremendous encouragement. This, this kind of the, you know, the way we frame verse 8 and thinking about ingratitude, right? And a grateful heart is also a generous heart, right? It's a man who is willing to, to share and give of his bread uh, uh, to the poor. But, of course, it's an ultimate reflection of, of God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Matthew Henry says this is a description of a charitable man. He has a bountiful eye. <coughs> Mr. Ed, you gave me a cough. <coughs> A bountiful eye as opposed to an evil eye, which is Proverbs 23, 6. And is also the same with the single eye, Matthew six twenty two, An eye that seeks out objects of charity besides those that offer themselves. It's an eye that upon the sight of one in want and misery affects the heart with compassion. An eye that with the alms gives a pleasant look, which makes the alms doubly acceptable. He has a liberal hand. He gives of his bread to those that need. His bread, or the bread, appointed for his own eating. He will rather abridge himself than see the poor perish for want. Yet he does not give all of his bread, but of his bread. The poor shall have their share with his own family. Um, that's a good point. I mean, just uh, something to emphasize, right? That uh, the Lord never calls us to give in such a way so that our families will suffer want. Right? Because then we become guilty of First Timothy five eight. Right. Yeah, I almost said eighteen. The man who does not provide for his, his own family is worse than an infidel. Worse than an unbeliever. Denying the faith. Right. Denying the faith. Yeah, there you go. Um I like how this pictures it though. You know, a bountiful eye, you know, it's an eye that's scanning and yep. looking and seeing how can I help. What can I, you know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. How can I bless? Well, a bountiful eye looks on life as look at how much I have. Mm -hmm. You know, as great or less. You know, look at what God has given me. Mm -hmm. You know, I I can give back. You know, um, again, whether it's a, a great amount or a very small amount. Yeah, and it's very hard to uh, imagine that someone with a bountiful eye uh, would sow in iniquity. Though it's certainly possible because everyone but the Lord Jesus uh, has that, that sinful flesh. Um, but when, when you have that generous eye seeking to give to others, uh, when you have that grateful heart uh, seeking to lay down yourself as, as a servant for those whom God has given you to serve, it will be much more difficult to sow in iniquity, and you won't reap uh, won't reap sorrow for sure. Better to give than to receive. Right. It's not only in material things; mm -hmm. it's also in spiritual and spiritual things. Yeah. Where if we're looking at how great God's blessings have been and are to us, we can look on others. Acknowledge that they're receiving the same type of generosity of blessing. We look at them as a positive, mm. with a positive light instead of a judgmental light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think of my grandmother when I think of that because back in the days when he, Watkins man or the the different peddlers would come to your house to sell you different things. Before they could sell her anything, she'd bring you, bring them into the house and set them down and they'd have a cup of coffee or she'd had a cake or a pie. She'd always feed them. Or if there was a family she found out was in need, she went down to the grocery store and said, you send these people a basket of groceries. And, and when there was people that couldn't pay, 
for cold in the winter. She'd tell them to go. My, she'd tell my uncles. She wouldn't tell my grandfather, but she'd tell my uncles to take them to cold. And and uh, it was amazing when we went through and when when they died of, of the people that owed them money for coal that never paid them. She was just a given person as far as I knew. Yeah. I was just thinking about a contrast here between verse 8 and verse 9. Um, especially if we're talking about in verse 8, a man who has authority because he has this rod, right? He's got this power, right? So you have his anger in verse 8. And then in verse 9, you have his bread, right? So the man in verse 8 uh, does not steward well what he's been given evidently it's authority or some semblance of prominence where he has much to sow right versus uh verse nine where he has a generous or a bountiful eye uh, even with the bread that he has been given right so you've got the 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 uh, almost like a contrast of of persons here a contrast of men um Frank, can i read a poem about this please um, I, I found this a long, long time ago. I really enjoyed it. It's called Lost Opportunities by Al Edgar Albert Guest, not Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> That's where we were going <laughs> for a second. Yeah. It says, when I am rich, he used to say, a thousand joys I'll give away. I'll walk among the poor I find, and unto one and all be kind. I'll place a wreath of roses red upon the bier of all my dead. I'll help the struggling youth to climb. In doing good, I'll spend my time. To all in need, I'll friendly be the day that fortune smiles on me. He never guessed that being kind depends upon the heart and mind and not upon the purse at all. That poor, man, that poor men's gift, however small, make light some weary traveler's load and smooth for him his troubled road. He never knew or understood the fellowship of doing good. Because he had not much to spare, he thought it vain to give his share. Yet many passed him day by day. He might have helped along the way. He fancied kindness something which belongs entirely to the rich. So he lived and toiled for gold, unsympathetic, harsh and cold, intending all the time to share the burdens that his brothers bear. When he possessed great wealth, and he could well afford a friend to be, his fortune came, but oh too late, the poor about him could not wait. They never guessed and never knew the things that he had meant to do. Few knew how much he'd planned to give if only God had let him live. And when at last his form was cold, all that he'd left on earth was gold. A kindly name is something which a man must earn before he's rich. Hmm. And uh, that reminds me of the negative of that of that proverb. Mm -hmm. And I had a um, was talking to a guy forty years ago, and we were talking about giving. And his whole thing was, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't give, you know, I'm, I'm talking about giving to ministries and stuff like that. He goes, you know, I don't give because I really need to build my business. And when I have enough money, I'm going to do all these great things. And I told him back then, I said, you know what? You're never going to do any of those great things if you don't do them right now. Mm -hmm. You know, waiting to, waiting till you have enough, then you can, then you can be generous. And so just like with, you about his grandmother you know she she was not rich but she was generous mm -hmm. so you know so it, it should be an encouragement to all or instruction to all of us to look to be a blessing how can you bless you know other people you know most of the time you know people fall into one of two categories they're either part of a supply or part of the demand <clears throat> and I think most of us are part of the supply, hmm. you know, and, and so we, we, you know, we need to look to have a bountiful eye. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, and to you know, and to honor God that way. Mm-hmm. No, I'm thinking two two principles that like uh, just of the patience or the kindness of God and, and even how he requires us to give. He he doesn't say that the man who is blessed gives all his bread. Mm-hmm. He just says that he gives of it. Right. And also the requirement, the only like percentage or specific requirement that was ever required was a tenth, mm-hmm. right, in giving. Um, and it's, uh, you know, when people get convicted about giving and being a blessing to others there's a, there's a lot of time that they can go especially people in ministry or service kind of stuff they can go overboard to the neglect of of their family whereas the lord's requirements and the examples right that he gives where there's specifics it just says of mm-hmm. not all yeah. a tenth not a hundred percent right um and there's a you know there's that that razor's edge that you have to operate on because um there's a temptation to uh, think that, you know, I have very little, therefore I can't give very much. But then you're reminded in the Gospels of the woman that Jesus praised, right, who gave all that she had, right, but she had very little. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a hard line to toe. It, it really is. I think that, I think, you know, the challenge is this, that, you know, that, if we're being good stewards and we're being faithful stewards, mm-hmm. you know, and not and not uh, being graceful and you know, and prodigal living and whatever, that gives you an opportunity to be generous and to give, you know, because you know you're not living paycheck to paycheck, and if you know people that are living the paycheck to pay from paycheck to paycheck really can't <coughs> afford to be generous without sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Without, without it being done at the expense of their families, yeah. you know. So it's really, you know, important for young men to learn to be good stewards and to develop those habits early, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so that they can be generous. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <coughs> All right, we got a few minutes. Y'all want to do verse ten? <coughs> All right. Cast out the scoffer, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Uh, man. Because I was thinking about Judas in the first two verses, and when I was writing the notes for this, I thought about Judas with this verse as well, uh, that he was the scoffer, and that the disciples were better for his departure. It's a, that seems like a fairly str- straightforward thing. Yep. I mean, that doesn't. That's not too. That's that's a pretty obvious one. Yep. Yes, that you got to work with people and everything else. Somebody constantly mm-hmm. scoffing, unfoundedly, unfounded. Yep. Yeah, you can't be a you scoffer if you're generous. If you got a bad attitude. Check your attitude or leave. Whatever. Yep. Uh, yeah, it generally improves the situation. Yeah, no, it does. Throwing out that mocker or that scoffer can be a very difficult process, and can be not of your own doing. Yeah, you know, you work with a contentious person. You know, you don't have the power to fire them. Yeah, mm-hmm. or really anymore even the power to approach them or even call them a scoffer yeah (laughs) no I mean I I think about this verse too as well from like the um, just as far as being an elder and a pastor thinking about it as like church discipline um, or just a general rebuke Mm -hmm. to someone because you see the fruits of, of scoffing, right? Um, I'm reminded of Titus uh, 3, verse 10. I think it's Titus 3, 10, where it says, Reject a divisive man after the mm-hmm. first and second admonition, 
knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Right? Those are, you know, not overly specific words. Right? They're just general characteristics of people who are ungodly. You know a divisive man when you see one. Right? It doesn't take you long to determine that about somebody, but also the same thing goes for a scoffer. Right? It's, it's not hard to see a scoffer. And the, the Bible here in Proverbs 22.10 doesn't say bear with them. It doesn't say, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm jokingly saying this, but also kind of serious. It doesn't say pray for them, right? Though we do want to pray for people to change, but sometimes we use prayer as an excuse to not do anything, right? Mm-hmm. The verse is a call to action. Can you elaborate a little more on the on what the words what the word actually means? Scoffer. Yep. Sure. Um, let's see. The more technical definition. Um, from the Hebrew, at least, is like to to deride uh, a frivolous and impudent, impudent person mm-hmm. who scoffs. Uh, they're a chatterer. Um, let's see what another translation Isn't there says. A word called scoff law, something like that. Scoff law. Yeah. The King James says scorner. Mm-hmm. Right. So, a scoffer. It's almost like a synonym for mocker. Right. Right. So my translation says a mocker. Yeah, yeah. It's just just someone who is, uh, it's, it's like they always have something negative to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they always uh, have this rejection of of the plans in place, right? Uh, it, it, it makes it's me like think a of default position. Yeah, it makes me think of somebody who is never satisfied, right? Right. Somebody that assumes that they could always do a better job than someone who's doing the job. Right, uh, that that's a scoffer, in in my opinion. Uh, they're, they're they're always the first one to say that won't work. Yeah. Right, or the first one to point a finger when it doesn't work. Right, rather than admitting any responsibility or blame or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So I mean that would go along with scoff law, right? Mm-hmm. Scoff law. The scoff law is basically just somebody who has no regard mm-hmm. for. Authority, right? Or like they basically they think that they. Yeah, I've never heard that word, but it yeah. one who flouts a law. Flouts the law. Yeah. Are you guys? Are you looking that up, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, I just looked it up too. They think they can do it. It's one word. Scuff law. Yeah, you probably get dictionary. Yeah. I have an old dictionary down here. You guys don't have it. It's also a gin-focused cocktail bar in Chicago. <laughs> that might be what I was thinking. Right, could be. You just got back from Chicago. Did you have any pizza in Chicago? No, I did not. I like the Detroit pizza better. Ah, uh, <laughs> A contemptuous law violator. Let's see. Define scoffer. Like I said, the King James is what it says scorn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that carries with it a certain idea as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of put it in the same bucket as a sluggard. I mean, I seem like a mm-hmm. scoffers often attributed, often referred to in Proverbs. I would suspect more than once here. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think with a scoffer, you can definitely hear. Yeah. You know, scoff. Yeah, there is a there's a beer, a beer called scoff law, actually. Okay. Another uh, the one of the forms of this word in the Hebrew also means to brag, to mm-hmm. speak boastfully, to encourage scorn, or to put on airs. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the noun form is mocker. Okay. Huh. Other proverbs, uh, well, actually, Psalm one hundred one five. Whoever uh, privily slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him who has a high look, that's the scoffer, Mm -hmm. and a proud heart, I will not suffer. I will not tolerate. Mm -hmm. Psalm 101.5. And I I mean, I would just say, kind of reflecting on what we were saying earlier and wrapping up, just a scoffer is someone who is complete, almost a completely 
incapable of gratitude. Right? They always have the finger pointed. Well, they always. But Jesus, I mean, the primary thing, a big one was when when the soldiers were scoffing. Yeah. Scoffing. Yeah. No, that's good. I used to I used to give my boss advice on this one because, uh, you know, he had some problem with people in the organization. And I would tell him, look, you can change personnel, but you can't change people. You know, because he was always trying to uh, rehabilitate them mm. and, and try, you know, and try to, you know, make them better people. And I said, you know, only God can change something's heart and mind. You can have at it all you want. And one 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 guy in particular, about three four years later, you know, I was in a I was in another group, and my boss came to me and said, "Man, why didn't I listen to you? That guy's been that guy's been causing me trouble for five years, you know." And he's he almost got my, he almost got the boss fired over some things he did and and I, I told him look you know if you recognize somebody like that you need to get rid of them as fast as you can and he had opportunities to do that he just he was he was a very um, he was a real peacemaker you know and he, he, he really thought that if he could just be nicer to the guy or just help help the guy that the guy would respond you know, but he didn't realize that, you know, it, there was no, uh, there was no, there was no value in doing that, no benefit in doing that. Two things. Uh, in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the word is used to describe what Sarah did. Mm -hmm. She saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which he had mm -hmm. born to Abraham, and she mocked, she scoffed, mm -hmm. and she said, cast her out. Um, that's interesting because Sarah was the instigator yep. in right. the situation but it, it also we of course as sinners are given over to scoffing and scorning sadly at times because of the power of the flesh but this just shows how we have to let's say cast that desire out mm -hmm. right? we have to root it out parents you have to root it out of your children because if like the Bible traces all these these uh, these vices and even virtues like these characteristics they become synonymous with the person right so someone who scorns mm -hmm. becomes a scorner right someone who's a scoffer becomes right. the scoffer and that is what they are known as right so uh, be wary of our own hearts uh, in these behaviors and also as we shepherd our children and grandchildren beware of that as well because a contentious family member can't really cast them out yeah. right. that, that way that, you, that verse you read a minute ago where it translated as the one who has the high view mm -hmm. is an interesting way of translating that as well yeah. I mean it, it reminds me of you know, when I went and visited uh, some friends in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and, you know, it's like the highest point in New Mexico, and you can, like, they took us up to, like, the highest point on a mountain at nighttime at one point, and we could look out, and, like, miles away, we could see, like, lights from, like, other cities, you know, mm -hmm. far away and stuff. And, you know, it's the way, the high, like, the higher we got, the more you could see them the more like the lights were amplified to us and stuff. And it was, I mean, it's interesting because we do oftentimes prop ourselves up, we lift ourselves up so much so to the point where the lights of, like the, the sins of others become more intensified to mm. us. I mean, that's obviously the what Christ is talking about of, you know, take the log out of your own life before you take the speck out of your brothers, right? Is the fact that we oftentimes try to redirect our own attention away from our own sins. Mm -hmm. So much so to the point where we try to see where other people are sinful in more egregious manners mm -hmm. than we are. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
we and we try to justify our sin in that way. Well, he's a Christian and he does something way worse than I do. Therefore, I mean, I have a right to continue doing what I'm doing or to not confess this sin that I'm harboring in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that high view is this scoffing at mm-hmm. other people's sins is our justification. Yeah, and it, it it makes you scoff, right? Yeah. That that elevated sense of self. Yeah, um, it should be interesting to see uh, the next uh, table talk magazine for next month. Mm. Is on uh, uh, commonly accepted sins. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> should be some months are more. I've got. Gossip I've got them here. Page. Huh? I have them here for next month. Yeah. I got. I got. I received. On front page. I Just, received that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, brothers. You're right. Yeah. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat>